going on, guys? It's Mike Norris. I'm here today with Lee Auerbach. How's it going, Lee? Very well. Very busy, but very well. <laughs> yeah, we were just chatting before we hopped on. Lee's got a busy day, but he's still in. And is that a papa shop behind you, by, by chance? That is. Uh, <laughs> due to the pandemic, uh, a lot of people are pausing their offices and closing them to save on rent. And we did the same. We consolidated, and uh, there was a free for all for everything that was in the office. <laughs> I only wanted one thing, and that was to be able to shoot hoops in between meetings. So I won that. I think you chose well. I think you did. <laughs> well, cool. Why don't you tell everyone about uh, where you work and your background and all that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, when I was five years old, I knew I wanted to be a scientist. Uh, no, I'll, I'll <laughs> get it somewhat brief, but uh, I I made the transition both from East Coast to West Coast. Which is, I live in San Diego now, uh, tropical paradise of the mainland, but uh, and also. That's what I hear. What's that? That's what I hear. I hear the weather's oh, great yeah. all the time. Uh, I, everyone I thought was overhyping it when I moved here. Uh, the people aren't as cool as they are in New York City. No offense. Um, <laughs> uh, but it is literally, you take all the same baggage and all the same problems, except you're in paradise every day. So you have a ton of outlets. Work-life balance is walking out of your house. I could live with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I also need the transition of offline to online. And that was I, after college, I followed a lot of passion plays. I was in the music industry for five years. Uh, I then went to the travel industry, uh, where I worked with certifying people for teaching English in foreign countries, which is something I did twice in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and then from there, I ended up jumping in. I was living at, in Chicago at the time and jumped into more of the print media. So Chicago Tribune, uh, The Economist. But while I was working at both these companies, it was helping them transition to online advertising and the online world, which uh, as we know, where the majority of people now get their news. And so mm -hmm. it was definitely alluring to me. It was being that I was a salesperson by birth, pretty much. Uh, it was also very successful. And I saw that there was something there. Uh, I ended up working a short stint at Groupon, uh, helping them kind of scale their initial sales teams. It was in the early phase at that point. Uh, but then found a tech company in Chicago that really opened my mind to the possibilities of online conversations. And uh, it was a company called MotiveQuest and basically they collected billions of conversations, had a room of like anthropologists and psychologists and all these data analysts. And they understood the motivation behind humankind. <laughs> uh, okay. It sounds crazy, but it was pretty crazy. Sure. Uh, and fed this information to large brands in order to know not just how to target these people, but how to predict their needs and wants before they even know what that awareness is. And so it was really interesting. A lot of new innovative products came in the marketplace from it. Uh, and it was exciting. Uh, however, the call to California echoed when my sixth Chicago winter came into play. <laughs> and a record week of negative temperatures the entire week. And uh, I had really good friends in San Diego and had to get out there. So sure. fast forward a couple of months, um, I'm living in LA and I formed a company with one of my old coworkers uh, and we were uh, moderately successful. Um, he ended up having a baby with his wife and wanted more steady work. So we sold the company. I moved down to San Diego finally. That was my like six year goal was moving to San Diego. And I decided to get back into the tech scene. Uh, it was a very mini Silicon Valley at that point in uh, San Diego, and mainly because it was way cheaper than San Francisco. <laughs> and so uh, I actually interviewed with a number of tech companies. There were some really alluring ones in 
somewhat in a mature phase, like not in full startup mode. Sure. Uh, however, if there's one thing I learned from being a salesperson, I knew I could create revenue. I was very confident on my skill set. The real question was, could the upper management of that company allocate the money that I was earning the company into a successful business and a scalable business and a growing business um, and not just, you know, into pockets or wherever else into the wrong places where we end up burning through it. When I interviewed with Colin, who's the founder of Chatmeter, mm -hmm. uh, he, he was definitely not at the height of his success. <laughs> However, <laughs> um, he, he was so passionate and he had all the qualities I did not. Uh, he was almost, I call him a self-proclaimed data scientist. Uh, he knew exactly where money should be allocated, which is a long story of one of my interview questions, which uh, if you've ever seen A Beautiful Mind, he pretty much scoped out like every <laughs> dollar of money that I would earn him in every department of scalable chat meter, which didn't exist currently. And I was blown <laughs> away by the fact that he planned 10 years of success and being on top of his game when all he had at that point was a somewhat functional idea. Mm -hmm. and so I took a huge risk and a huge pay cut. <laughs> I was joining Colin and uh, I was the first employee on record. We had a couple of independent contractors at that point. Um, but the vision was there, the product maybe 15% there. Uh, it was definitely uh, kind of fake it till you make it for me mentality. Sure. And we aligned with a lot of large partners. Uh, one of the big ones initially was like AutoTrader and stuff like that, which was pretty exciting. Okay. Yeah. Um, we raised, uh, well, we, we earned some money through organic revenue coming in, uh, which allowed Colin to start hiring more people. And uh, we created departments, uh, which, you know, was something we never had. So it was like revolutionary. Yeah. One account manager. So we have an account management department. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the adversity that we were facing, though, is that while we, um, you know, the money that we had raised was in the single digit low end. And our closest competitor had hundreds of millions of dollars at that point. Uh, so whereas they were definitely the brand well known and let's call them the McDonald's sure. uh, of the industry because they were spending tons of marketing, they were everywhere. Um, we strived on having a much higher quality of product. So while they were educating the country and the world on why local SEO was important, we were coming in showing that the frustrations they had and never knew existed actually were solved with another product in the marketplace. So it made mm. conversion and adaption a lot easier. We actually turned the disadvantage into an advantage of not having a lot of revenue and it paid off. I mean, we started to have 42% growth year over year. Uh, we became in 2019, uh, by the way, we didn't even have to pay for this. <laughs> it was something that we found on our social media monitoring tool. But in 2019, we became the 10th fastest growing SaaS company in the entire world. And that was wow. awesome. as in this. Um, I mean, at that point, wow. Yeah, at that point, we were still under 100 employees. So that was like mind blowing to us. Um, but we did know on paper, we looked amazing. I mean, we knew sure. that most SaaS companies, if you raise a lot of capital, it's a lot harder than to grow at an aggressive rate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you like extract that capital, they're still in the red. We were profitable. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we ended up experiencing a lot of success. Uh, that award, we could call it, even though it was earned, uh, in 2019 got us some good attention. And uh, now we have a PE firm backing us, which is awesome. 
um, and we're looking for better, bigger and better things and scaling out the team. I will say though, some of the learnings that I had is I've been through the startup world a number of times. Sure. Um, when you're hiring people in an initial phase, when you have five, 10 employees, you're more selling them on a dream than you are on the company. And it's the same thing as when we were closing business. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't closing them being like, oh, we're the, the craziest product out there with all the bells and whistles. Sure. Um, but it was that deeper emotional rapport that we had um, where we wanted to make a difference in the world. We wanted to um, connect consumers and businesses at a deeper level through online reviews and through local social commentary. And it was something that we, I don't think to this day, we ever wanted to be a commodity. That was like our worst nightmare of being just a product that was sold in bulk. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to lose that feeling, but we want to be the dream that these people don't really know is even possible with connections to millions of random people online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I, when I would sell something back when we were a tiny company and it would break, which everything was breaking back then, <laughs> uh, it was very manual process. Um, they knew that we were trying to be bigger than we were and they respected mm-hmm. that. And they also knew that if they just waited it out, like the, the storm, that it would turn into a really lucrative partnership. And so, you know, it, it was a gamble as all these things are. There was definitely by far no guarantees, uh, especially with how little money that we had to play with. And it ended up being the right gamble. And the thing is though, if anybody's listening to this and wondering with a startup company, even if they're 50 employees, should I join the team? The question you should really be asking yourself at the point in your career is, if you're confident in your own skill set, when you interview at that company, are they going to use whatever skills you're bringing to the table to further the success of the broader company, not just you, not just mm-hmm. your department, because everyone wins when the company's winning. Mm-hmm. And so that is all I asked myself originally with Chatmeter. And again, I had three positions on the table and Colin gave me the worst offer. <laughs> and he, he will agree with all of that because it was a, a thorn in my side for a little bit in the beginning. Um, but I had, I knew from meeting him and seeing the idea, I mean, even with local search, I worked for social media, I worked for the newspaper, advertising, all these things. I knew that like the Googles and the Yelps and the Facebook locals were the future of how the masses are going to shop. I'm not saying it was the future of advertising or anything, but organically, every day of my life, when I want to look for an option nearby, I go to either Google Maps or Yelp. Oh, yeah. And so, that is, if that's my own action and everyone I know does the same thing, mm-hmm. then it's safe to assume that in, even though we were in the very beginning of that trend, that it was going to be a tidal wave of the masses catching up. And those sites, as we know now, you know, Google Maps is massive, Apple Maps oh, is yeah. massive, Yelp is massive, Yelp, the whole thing is a massive, is massive. And so, um, I mean, the number one way that people do anything. Uh, if you're in your car on the car computer, there's Yelp, there's Google, there's all these things. It's just, uh, you know, I, I saw the, the future potential early on and knew that between Colin and I, who had the opposite, <laughs> the opposite weaknesses and strengths, but together 
we were the unstoppable force. Again, that's I encourage everybody to have that same mentality. It's not just that's about awesome. getting a job and being in a routine of security. It's about mm-hmm. knowing that you know if you're going to perform, the company isn't going to go under. Uh, sure. Because a lot of times that happens, and that's happened in earlier roles. Now, where like I just set records, I'm like 200% quota, and they still can't pay my commission check. <laughs> uh, and that's not a good feeling to have that like the person who's steering the ship which i i don't want to do and I, I don't even know how to do at this point sure i want to have full faith that the ship is going towards a good place but not a good mm-hmm. yeah lee i can already tell this is going to be a great interview you, that was an exceptional introduction um few things you said that i want to dig into uh the, the first of which i, I want to talk about sales because you you said you you felt like you were born to, to be in sales. What is it about sales that draws you to it? <laughs> uh, interesting question. So I grew up in Brooklyn and a uh, few of you who know me who this will know this story, but um, when you grow up in New York City and I'm sure similar in other cities uh, that I've heard, you're constantly talking your way out of trouble, uh, sure. especially when you're a young person. and you you can't really i mean i was never a strong guy uh you know i was i was actually same (laughs) Uh, i was like literally skinning bones when i was young and so i was a very easy target and the thing was if you built rapport in five minutes with somebody that scared the crap out of you they felt this loyalty now which is a new york thing of not messing with you and so i literally on a daily basis went through the trials and tribulations of not like, oh, I'm losing commission, but I can be harmed to my body if I don't get myself out of this correctly. And um, that taught me early on, uh, I don't know if it was through um, nature or nurture, uh, being that it was a repetitive thing. Sure. Obviously, other people not able to talk their way out of it were getting their butts kicked every morning. And so <laughs> uh, I ended up actually befriending a lot of these people and you find and that's another interesting thing is you find that a lot of salespeople are intimidated by executives. They're intimidated by mm-hmm. the CMOs of Fortune 500 and the VPs mm-hmm. of marketing. Just like for a little bit, I was intimidated by these giant people who are going to rip me to shreds. Sure. Uh, is that same feeling of do they think differently? Do they, can you bond with them on the same stuff that you bond with with your friends? Are they normal human beings? And so from an early age, I realized that uh, we're all the same. We're all just human. Uh, Uh, I remember uh, I was at the Chicago Tribune and the first great phone call I had where I had this like epiphany on the ad sales was talking, I think it was the CMO of HP. And for the first 20 minutes of the phone call, we talked about Chicago Hockey. And that was it. And it was purely like, (laughs) what do you put as toppings? And I was telling them what I did for New York. And he was telling me it's not the right way. And 20 minutes, he was right. He kind of stopped and I kind of stopped and we were like, did we really just not talk about business for 20 minutes and we we're on hot dogs. And that's really when it struck me of, I was a good salesperson before that, but I did it by the book. Mm. And I finally had this epiphany of people want to enjoy their days of work and to enjoy it is not just being the best at selling what you're selling. It's about having those 10 to 15 minutes of being a human being 
<laughs> I have talked about, I have danced around the most controversial and inappropriate uh, topics. Um, I mean, I have people that text me almost every night from three jobs ago asking my advice on things. And I think the reason why is they, and I, you're already getting this, that I will always be transparent. I will always yeah. be, um, I will, you know, always be borderline inappropriate so I can handle any conversation. <laughs> um, it does open, I mean, everyone, one of the biggest things with sales is how do you get past the filter? How do you get past the block? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, instead of trying all of these questions or statistics or you know, like 20% of people are unhappy with their current blah, blah, blah. Uh, you got to like be yourself. And if, sure. you go to a, a, if you move to a new town, um, you're not going to start spitting staff at people to get friends. <laughs> you're going to start talking about the things that you love doing in life and find other people with similar mentalities. And there's only yeah. some crossover of what you love versus what they love and mm -hmm. the central conversation that could come out of it. And that has by far helped me with everything in life, not just work, but mm -hmm. uh, I mean, even in this election, there's so much uh, divisiveness, but if you just find common ground, uh, no matter which side you're on, and you just find passions that you can share, mm -hmm. um, there's more than just trying to convince them of something they're never gonna agree with. Sure. I love that. And that seems to, I mean, look, I'm not a CMO of a fortune 500 company or anything like that, but I am the head marketing person at, at our agency. Yeah, true, true, true. I am the head marketing person at our agency though. And I, so I, I get a ton of, of cold calls. I do. And um, you know, they go through our, our office manager and everything, but it's, I, I can appreciate a good sales approach, man. And I, I can appreciate, you know, whether I'm in the market to buy something or not. And oftentimes I'm not, um, Still, you know, I, I can appreciate when someone takes the time to speak to me and, and, and you're right. I do want to have fun at work. That's why I'm doing this right now with you. I, I'm not trying to, you know, sit around and mope around and just like, you know, I'm at home right now. It, it gets boring. You know, I want to talk to people. <laughs> so, well, um, and you actually anyway. brought up another point is that I have been one of the lucky people to figure out how to avoid 90% of burnout at a position. Um, you know, I, Throughout the life of Chatmeter and other companies, but also Chatmeter, I've come close to panic attacks. I've come close to like, you know, 12 hour days for months on end. Sure. And the world fall apart one day and the world be rebuilt the next day. However, the thing that keeps you going, and because I, I'm talking about, oh, this is how you get over the filter. This is how you build rapport. This is also how you stay sane. It is like yeah. if every conversation you have is about an incredible topic, I actually call it therapy for myself sometimes uh, because I'll just start venting about my own personal problems and be like, what do you think I should do? And <laughs> my thoughts go off guard. But again, it, uh, there was a point in chat meter where I had five hours that were five different pitches I was doing a day for weeks straight uh, when I was the only salesperson back in the day. And like now if our salespeople have three to four, two days in a row, they're like, I can't handle this. They're like freaking out. But I, I used it as an, an opportunity to just become friends with people. I don't even know how to describe it, but just to like get input. I mean, these people are all over the country. They're all over the world. They're all different positions at all different types of companies. I can start doing a focus group myself of just like learning about 
what makes them motivated. And you know, it also teaches me when I'm hiring about like different positions who I'm talking to, how are they excited about work every day? Um, what do they think about? What makes them passionate when they talk about something? And so it was almost a form of market research, but also again, uh, mind calming for myself of being able to talk about crazy things I would say maybe like 3% of the time I take it too far, <laughs> in which case I have to step on the brakes. Uh, but the majority of time, it just ends up being a wild conversation. And you, I don't think really, unless you're like a public speaker or you travel for a living, I don't think there's too many other positions besides sales where you're going to be in front of this many diverse personalities mm -hmm. and just be able to have fun with it. Sure. And do you, so you've obviously been through a lot of startups and I think it's probably safe to say you have seen some shit, <laughs> but um, re with regarding chat meter and your current position and everything, have you tried to instill your mindset into the, the company and the culture? And then have you, and if, if so, how have you gone about doing that? So I would say the number one thing at chat meter is culture. And okay. Yes, I started that early. I mean, I started the first employee we hired. Mm -hmm. That has always been my philosophy is build for family. Um, and it's interesting. I was actually talking about this, uh, this topic with somebody two days ago where there are two different work environments. Uh, well, there's a lot more than two, but there's two major ones in sales. It is the turn and burn operation mm -hmm. or the cultivation. And I always believe that, I mean, when I was at the Chicago Tribune, I was hiring like waiters and talent scouts and all these people but when i interviewed with them they had so much passion and so much emotion and so many hobbies that they wanted to talk about i could teach them sales i can't teach them how to have a good personality mm -hmm. and so uh, <laughs> i would hire those people i would teach them how to close but they would be able to carry themselves on the conversation to get attention because they were such interesting people I love and that. So I, I saw the same thing with uh, Chatmeter. And just one thing to, to bring up is uh, we have had, uh, I don't even know, maybe 1% turnover with our CSMs and management team in the entire Wow. Time. That's uh, extremely uh, impressive. No wonder is, you've attained the growth you have. Uh, we, we have, I think, literally with our CSMs in 10 years, we've only had one person leave. And on the um, management team, I think we've only had one person leave there also. Uh, and that's, Unheard of, in my opinion, in terms of retaining the yeah. talent. Oh, I agree. Um, salespeople, we've had a lot more turnover than that, but that's sales and hitting numbers sure. and quotas. Um, uh, it's a numbers game, but I always, my interviews are so colorful as opposed to black and white. Uh, mm -hmm. It's similar to my sales calls where I'm talking about my life and my passions, and I want to make sure they have the same passions about life and that they can handle work-life balance. I don't want people who burn out after a year and stop performing and ask for a different position because that's rewarding exhaustion, which, uh, you know, and there's some fairness to that principle, except I'm just so uh, inverted looking where that's never happened to me and I just keep on going and going and closing and closing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I hire people that I am proud of. That's that's the best I way I can that. say it. It is people that when they do well, I'll tell them like, 
I'm proud of them. I feel like uh, somebody asked me, like, do you have any kids, which I don't, uh, but I usually answer when I was overseeing the whole sales team, uh, I have about 30 kids and they all have their pros and cons, but in the end, uh, I'm proud of them all. And so, sure. and I, you know, everybody, I have a tough love, um, uh, not dictatorship, <laughs> but I have a tough love <laughs> mentality where I am like a parent in a lot of ways, uh, and excuse all the parents hearing this who think that I know which I don't, but uh, in ways where I have to tell you things that hurt you on a daily basis, if I know long-term, they will make you successful. Sure. And when I'm As it should be. Well, and I tell them people, I tell people that in the interview, I was like, if you can't handle constant negative and positive reinforcement, then this is probably not the place for you because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I always say I come from New York and in New York, we tell people straightforward what they don't want to hear a lot of times, but they need to hear. Mm-hmm. And it will help them either at the current position or future position uh, when it finally sinks in and uh, they're aware of those things. But uh, the only way, by the way, you can do that and still retain talent is if you have a culture that is fully bought into the company. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, they will take offense from it and they will say, you know, this is a negative environment or whatever it may be. But if they love chat meter and all they want to do is be successful and have the company be successful, then they're more than happy with on a daily basis knowing the successes and the improvements that need to happen in order for them to be a superstar. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, our culture is number one. By the way, culture is also a negative thing to focus on because it really hurts scalability. <laughs> uh, I can I can agree with that. I mean, with hiring, it, we're slow. We're so slow to hire because we want to find the perfect person for the job and the perfect person for the company. Mm-hmm. And doing that makes it very difficult to hire like five people at a time. Mm-hmm. And so even if we have the budget a lot of times to hire five people, it ends up being more of a trickle fest of like two people here and two people there because we we're still concerned about hiring the wrong person because we don't want them to ever leave the company. Sure. Well, Again, uh, it's, it's a huge weakness, but it's, somewhat of a strength No, I, I agree with that entirely. And it, it is tough. I mean, so my agency is like 60 people now and we were 10 when I started and you know, the culture, it's hard to maintain that as you grow because you, you know, you, you were there on the ground level where you were doing like 12 hour days or whatever it was that you said. And I, I you know, I, I did something very similar, but then you get people who come in later and they don't, they don't understand that grind or the feeling of those successes early on when you were all oh, yeah. banding together and, you know, doing those things and you had that camaraderie and you're high-fiving and, you know, you're, you're gunslinging and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, they come in and it's, it's a little bit more of an established company and, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have certain things that you didn't have when you're like, you know, one or two people, right? Like you don't really have guidelines when it's two people. You just kind of know like everyone's going to do what they're supposed to do and, you know, everyone worked together. But then when you have a, you know, a hundred people, it's like, okay, can't do this. Can't do this. Got to do this. You know, we have metrics that you need to hit and all that kind of stuff. So it, it is different, but you, I do think you can maintain it. And I do think it centers around, um, I, I think it can ultimately center around how your company positions itself from a marketing standpoint. And that, that to me, you said something very early on when you were first talking that resonated with me a little bit that I'd like to transition into you mentioned that you had a competitor that had raised all this money and 
you know, they had all this backing, all this social proof, all this kind of stuff. And you guys didn't, but you carved out a little niche. It sounds like, and you, you, you played into that. And I think that's so important to do when you're, when you've got this clear competitor, you know, I, I use this analogy a lot of uh, like, let's say you're a fence company and you start out and you've got pretty much all the same products as everyone else, but you've got this massive competitor who's spending all this money and they're a really well-known name and they've got a better offer and they've got 20,000 Google reviews and they've got people everywhere and they can come out and all that. And then you've got like a free consultation is your offer. Well, now how can you, how can you get around that? And one thing I think you can do is you can look at uh, what motivates people intrinsically. And I think, you know, the first thing would be safety, right? And if you're selling fences, you can look at that and say, okay, let's take our 96 inch tall fence. Let's call it secure link technology. And let's say that our not, we've got, you know, like our focus is on your safety and you can just play into that. And it's not that you have some kind of product that someone else doesn't have, but now all of a sudden you've got an angle where you can say, well, you know, we're really concerned about your security. Whereas someone else might be saying something else. Is that, well, am I kind of. I have a great analogy that I can just add to that, which is, okay. um, and we kind of touched upon it earlier, but the competitor that's raised a ton of money and hundreds of millions of dollars is like the McDonald's of the industry. Mm-hmm. And um, does that mean if you go to a neighborhood and it has a McDonald's that you should not open up an In-N-Out burger? I'm using now West Coast reference. Sure, sure, sure. Um, no, I mean, in, I live in Encinitas, California, and there is an In-N-Out burger about two miles away from McDonald's. Um, there, it is a different, same product, but higher quality. And yep. the public knows that. And so they can go and get a cheaper solution at the McDonald's two miles away or they can pay a little bit more and maybe wait a little bit longer in the drive-thru <laughs> uh, to get a higher quality product. And that is the way that I look at tab meters in and out burger. Okay. Where we don't have, you know, 10,000 McDonald's locations across the country, mm-hmm. uh, but we are perceived as a little bit higher quality and therefore it drives leads and it drives inbound traffic to people wanting that better experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is since the beginning of the company, like I mentioned with the anti-commodity approach, that has always been our mentality. It's like, we know we're not gonna take a huge amount of money early on because we want full control of the company. Uh, So Mm -hmm. the question is, how do we win? And the answer is build a better product, sell a better product. They're already aware of the McDonald's. Maybe they want something better. And lucky for us, they did. And the McDonald's educates everyone on, hey, you have fast food in your neighborhood. And here's why fast food is good because it's quick, it's delicious, it smells good, the fries are amazing. But wait, there's a higher quality fast food down the street. So the same thing, like um, this other company educated everyone on why local SEO is important. Mm-hmm. And now that they're aware that it's important, they can actually choose a higher quality vendor. So we got, like that. it was, you know, it's always like half skill and half luck and half timing and all those sort of things. Sure. And um we all, I was also very confident in the technology and that local SEO would be huge, which it is now. Uh, and luckily also is chat meter just became insanely innovative. We invested more money in the product than we even did in salespeople or marketing or anything else. I mean, we've had next to no marketing department still to this day. Sure. And we're still known by a large portion of North America. So, and we have enterprise brands, mid market, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it is a testament to a the people that we hire 
um, the relationships they have and how our product, even with limited resources, since we are the underdog, mm -hmm. uh, has become the standard of excellence in our industry uh, and has really paved the way for you know, automation and scalability for their own company to be able to use this. I, don't, I mean, picture a brand that has 3,000 locations and you're talking about a review a day maybe for each of those locations. That's 3,000 reviews a day. How does one person in marketing digest that? And they need ways like very advanced technology that's going to aggregate and organize and uh, text analytic and sentiment and all these sort of things. Um, you know, you could put all these types of reviews in a bucket and respond to them with rotating templates in one click of a button. Bam, you just responded to a thousand of those 3,000 by clicking one button and choosing a few templates. I mean, that is pretty modern technology uh, that most enterprise organizations are looking for. So yeah. we've definitely, um, you know, we've gone the right path. It shows in our success, uh, which we have been very successful. And it also shows in our employee retention. I mean, it's just been, you never know if what you're doing is right. And I remember Colin and I even had like differences of opinion on, I always called everyone my family. <laughs> and he was like, ah, it's still a work <laughs> environment. And I was like, yes, but I spend more time at work than I do with my own family and friends mm -hmm. and everything else. So if it doesn't feel like a family to me, then it feels like a job. And I don't want to be somewhere every day that feels like a job. I love that. I, I feel the same way, man. And I don't know if you've watched The Office, but Michael Scott always calls it a family too. <laughs> um, that being said, I, I, uh, I do want to talk about your relationship with, with your boss and your founder, because I like what you said, you know, he's a very analytical mind and you're, you know, I don't know, I don't want to use words to describe you. <laughs> I just met you, but uh, you guys are obviously like yin and yang, right? Yes. So how, how I, I want to, I just want to so highlight the, the importance of that, I think. Well, the, and the way that we have stayed together for so long, there's only one way and there's one core belief and the belief is we put the company before everything. Mm -hmm. And so that means no matter what arguments we used to have when we were a boiler room company and no matter the differences or the frustration or whatever else comes from being partners, um, I actually always had respect for him because I always knew that all he wanted was a successful company and he always had respect for me to this day because he always knew, even if it was me giving up my own money, that all I wanted was the company to be successful. Mm -hmm. And so, as, and that's the thing, and I'll tell you right now, because now we have a lot of C-suite and a lot of management in the company. I don't care about people disagreeing with me even though I am always defensive, but I get over that. <laughs> I don't care about the agreement. The only thing I care about is, is that if you're doing it for yourself and it is not the betterment of the company, and if that happens, I become not a fun person to be around. Sure. Uh, but that is because somebody is trying to hurt my family. And that is what I built uh, or helped build over the past seven years of my life at Chattanooga. So, uh, and, you know, I'm a firm believer of like all for one and one for all. And I can't stand people that are, you know, bringing up things because of ego, because of whatever it may be that's driving the divide. Uh, and I am very focused on avoiding that from ever happening, no matter how big we get, even though it's much sure. harder the bigger you get. I was just uh, going to say that. Yeah. Well, and yeah. also, I'm a small company man. Uh, I'm a boiler room man. So 
you know, I don't know. I never, I always think about like, I don't know if there's a place for me when companies get too big. At Chicago Tribune, I was part of a, a division of like four people when I started. Okay. Uh, same with the economists and stuff like that. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the company scales, how I scale with it. But, uh, you know, as long as I'm here, I will be driven on chat meter, beating all odds and, uh, you know, having the underdog mentality to stay on top. I think that's an excellent way to wrap up. Um, I'd love to talk to you more again another time. Honestly, I know you're busy, but I, this was exceptional. And I think there's a lot more content we could dive into. But if anyone's interested in reaching you, Lee, how, how should they go about doing that? Um, I mean, feel free to go to chatmeter.com. We have a way of contacting us. We do offer uh, a free audit on, on a company. And it's a deep dive audit. This isn't just like, you have a B or something like that. Okay. Uh, we'll look through every moving piece of your local SEO strategy and design a plan for you. Hey, if you don't want that plan, we'll still give you the information. Uh, we're pulling it anyway, and it'll provide, I mean, you'll know what you don't know, even if you're using another vendor in the industry. Uh, it's like that third-party audit. And so I highly encourage everybody to do that. Um, it's the only thing that we use on every phone call to like blow people's minds and really uh, show them what's happening in the online ecosystem. Uh, for me, I mean, LinkedIn is the best way to find me because I also have my work email on there and everything else, but it's Lee Auerbach, um, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. And yeah, uh, I try and update my LinkedIn with uh, new articles on the industry as, as often as humanly possible. Uh, but feel free to ask me any questions that anybody has as I'm usually a wealth of information if I know the answer. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, man. And one last little endorsement from me. We do work with Lee and he has been absolutely exceptional so far. I do recommend working with this team if you're interested at all. <laughs> all right. Thanks, man. Bye, everybody.